Here we go, Draft Knicks. Here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Draft Nation podcast. Uh, my name is Joe412, and I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes. Before we begin tonight, we want to thank our sponsors in Caliente's Pizza and Draft House, home of the world's best pizza. Check them out if you haven't already at worldsbestpizza.com. Uh, and for those of you who have not listened to our show before, Draft Nation is an e-magazine that is hyper-focused on all four major sports drafts. Um, so we cover all aspects of player scouting, mock drafts, free agencies, salary cap provisions, and, of course, the needs of your favorite teams. Uh, so that's the kind of stuff you're going to hear from us. That's the kind of stuff you're going to read from us. And with me tonight, we have a very special guest. We have Leo Haggerty of Amped Up Sports in Tampa. Uh, Leo is a scout like me, and uh, we're going to talk about all four sports tonight. So, Leo, welcome to Draft Nation. Are you ready to go on the clock? I am ready. Start the clock, and uh, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Well, before we get started, tell the listeners a little bit about you and how they can find you in Amped Up Sports. Well, you go onto Facebook and look for Amped Up Sports. I do a Leo's Daily Memo every day. Uh, Today's dealt with uh, Roger Goodell and how he needs to convince the owners to stop charging full price for those exhibition games. Oh, they call them playoff games, but... Terrible football. If you want to charge full price, donate it to charity. That's my Leo's Daily Memo. Book it, Dano. <laughs> Fair enough. That's your nugget of wisdom for the day, right? Well, Leo, yep. since you brought up Goodell, we're, we're going to start off with football. i got a couple of questions for you uh, related to this. In Scout to Scout, um, there was a controversy uh, during this last NFL draft. There was a couple of guys that were expected to go first overall, and the Carolina Panthers ended up taking Bryce Young from Alabama over C.J. Stroud uh, out of Ohio State. Now, both these guys bring something different to the the field, and I have my opinion. I'm interested to hear yours. Uh, would you have drafted Bryce Young first overall, and you know, uh, or would you have taken someone like C.J. Stroud or maybe even Richardson or somebody like that? I would have definitely taken C.J. Stroud. And, again, if as a general manager and a scout, if Bryce Young's size doesn't scare you away at 5'10 and an 8'204, that's got to scare me because guess what? There's no Vanderbilts in the NFL. Now, C.J. Stroud's going to, he's going to struggle too because there's no Rutgers in the NFL. These guys are going to be playing against people – who are bigger, faster, stronger than anything they've seen. There's going to be a time where they're going to have to learn. I'm just afraid that Bryce Young, the scrambling he did at Alabama, he's not going to be able to do that with Carolina because these defensive ends and linebackers, they'll run him down. So, yeah, I'd have taken C.J. Stroud being 6'3 and 2'18", plus that game against Georgia, that sold me. Yeah, he, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head with the Georgia game. I think if there were doubters out there, me included, uh, prior to that game, it had been that when Stroud got pressured uh, that, uh, you know, he would throw the ball away or just hearkening back to the Michigan game um, where he just he, – he became ineffective against a superior defense. Uh, but I think he hit the nail on the head there. I mean, he proved to everybody he's a gamer. Uh, he's got the size to play in the NFL, and you're right. I mean, I think the knock on Young – is and will always be his size. Now, I know he can't control that, but NFL teams can. And the Carolina Panthers gave a heck of a lot to go up and get a guy that has a risk profile that you can't control. It's different when you need someone to have reps. 
or it's different when you need someone to see defenses or a speed uh, of a game. And I'm not taking anything away from Young. I mean, the guy has a high football IQ. He did really well at Alabama, but he he's not a scrambler. Uh, he scrambled enough at Alabama, and he's small. And that's going to catch up to him in this league where you've got guys that are going to run faster at defensive end that he's, he, that he saw in some cases at linebacker uh, in the NCAA level. I think that's a real issue for him and his size. I don't know what kind of beating he's going to take. Where Stroud, Levis, Richardson, those guys are built kind of like, you know, like Roethlisberger was, and they could take a beating, um, you know, or Cam Newton, uh, you know, and I don't know how long, you know, Bryce Young is going to last there, but, you know, getting on to my next question, uh, I know that we talked about quarterbacks here for a second, but one of these strange phenomena, something we've been seeing over the last couple of years, is NFL teams just going away from, generically going away from running backs. And I know in this past year, we saw two running backs taken in the first round. Obviously, Bijan Robinson was the, the cream of the crop, the best of the bunch. He ends up in Atlanta. And then Detroit surprised everybody by taking Jameer Gibbs uh, as high as they did, I think 12th or 13th overall, if memory serves me correctly. Uh, and he's a weapon. There's no doubt the guy can play ball. Uh, but in the past several years, and even in this offseason, we've seen, you know, arguments with Dalvin Cook's contract and, you know, Saquon Barkley's contract and Ezekiel Elliott's contract the last couple of years. You know, and, and you know, why has there been – why are teams shying away from running backs in the first round? You know what, Joe? I'm going to blame this on the West Coast offense. And they think the system will be able to cover up for any deficiency in the running back. And, again, another thing we need to understand is that it's no longer a running back in the NFL. With the game going so far to the passing game, you've got to be a catching back. You've got to be a blocking back. If you can't catch the ball out of the backfield or you can't block, you become a one-and-two-down player. The three-down, every-down players, they got to be able to run, block, and catch. And, again, the West Coast offense thinks that they can plug in a second, third, and fourth-round pick. Now, I'll tell you what, I think B. John Robinson is going to prove everybody wrong. He stays healthy. He's a great pick in the first round. He's got all the tools. He's got the mentality. That's what you're looking for in the running back. But, again, teams are just shying away from that because they'd rather put their money in a quarterback and a number one or number two wide receiver. So running back goes down the line. And, again, Joe, remember, what's a quarterback looking for? He's looking for a great running back. He's looking for a great offensive line, and he's looking for a great tight end. That's what you're looking for. And it doesn't say running back. It says running game. That's the key. You know, that's a really great point. I, I, I'll i even add to it. I mean, I think, you know, B. John Robinson, you hit the nail on the head. The guy is elite. Uh, and if he stays healthy, he's got size, speed, all functions of the game. That's the kind of guy that you want. And I think the 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 nearest back to him that we saw recently might have been Barkley, but I would almost go back to Ezekiel Elliott in his prime. I mean, that's that's the kind of guy that the Atlanta Falcons got – and let's face it, I mean, they had a guy like Kyler Algier last year really do well. They didn't have to reach for a running back, and instead they took the best guy off their board uh, with Bijan Robinson. And I'll say the same thing for Dan Campbell. He risked a lot in Detroit by 
picking a guy that high who he could have traded back and gotten the same guy for. He just knew who he wanted, and he got Jameer Gibbs. And to your point, that's exactly what Jameer Gibbs does. He's going to run between the tackles every now and then. He's not a 20-carry guy. He's not going to be a, you know, a, a Henry or, or a Najee Harris. That's not what he does. What he does is he'll catch the ball in the flat. He'll be in pass pro and protect the quarterback. Uh, you can use him in the slot. You can use him in jet sweeps. The guy is almost a running back uh, slash wide receiver. Uh, and so I, I, I agree with your points there. It's just one of these positions that have sort of been not devalued but redefined. Uh, and I think that happens every now and then. We saw that 10 years ago with the with the cornerback position. Everybody wanted you know shut down corners, and we needed to have a Revis Island, and and those guys were you know, the, the hot commodity for a while. And we would see first rounds where six or eight of these guys would go in the first round. And now we're seeing the opposite effect with that with, with running backs. But uh, I agree with you. I think you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head saying that the position's just sort of been redefined there. But uh, all right, look, enough about football. I'm going to move on to basketball here because the NBA draft was interesting to me. Um, over the last couple of years, uh, we've seen a change in the way NBA teams really look at their draft picks. Um, has the NBA, in your opinion, has the NBA draft really become a futures draft uh, as opposed to a player now draft? I Definitely. There, there's no doubt in my mind. And I would hate to be a GM now where you take a high school kid and it's going to take him two to three years to develop, and by then you're probably gone. I'll give you the best example of this being a futures draft. Let's go back to Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant, his rookie year with the Lakers, Dell Harris didn't play him because he didn't care about developing. He wanted to win, and Kobe Bryant didn't help him win. He had only 1,103 minutes as a rookie. That's less than 23 total games. That actually sits there. That screams that this is a future draft. That started it back then when you're coming out of high school. That's just the way it is. You're not going to find these guys right away that are coming out of high school or one year in college. A lot of them aren't, just aren't ready. It's going to take them another year or two, maybe three years, especially the high school guys. I, I want to see what the kid from France does because all of a sudden now you're going to be playing 82 games. That's a whole different animal for these kids. Well, you know, you're right. I mean, Wimbayama is going to be – he's an interesting pick, and he's another futures pick. I mean, the guy – you know, has the body of, of, of Sean Bradley, and he's got to put on some muscle and some weight to play in, in this league. 82-game schedule is going to be rough on a guy like that. Uh, but you're right. They, they didn't draft him for this year. You know, they drafted him for what he's going to be in three years. Uh, and, and I think that could be said for a lot of those. If you look at the top eight players, and I want to say half of them didn't go to college. They came from Europe or they came from these – you know, elite leagues that have been started up that are paying players to play out of high school at 18 uh, and, and move in, you know, and, and I, it's just been a sea change in the way the NBA teams really kind of look at their draft boards. Uh, and they're, they're, they are, I agree with you. I think they are uh, drafting for futures as opposed to, you know, a guy that's just right out of college that's put in four years. So, uh, but while we're still in the NBA and you, you mentioned Wembyana, is a low post kind of back to the basket player even draftable? I mean, we saw I didn't see a lot of that this year, last year. I mean, what you mean is is that position kind of 
going the way of the dodo bird here, or, or has it been devalued in the same way the NFL devalued running backs in the first round? Joe, you're exactly right. Post players are dinosaurs. You just you can't draft them, and the three point line has pretty much made them obsolete. And I'm going to go back to a quote David Alexander, who was one of my scouting buddies, did when we were on the radio a couple of years ago. He said, I don't like seven-foot jump shooters. And that's what's happening in the league now. You look at these guys coming out. They have a perimeter game. And, again, it, do the math. It's three points behind the line. It's two points in front of the line. So, you know, all you got to do is shoot 30 or 40, 30 or 35% from behind the line to make up for 50% in front of the line. So, yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. And, again, most of these big guys – are looking to have a perimeter game. Because uh, look at Joel Embiid. I, I think jo- Joel Embiid thinks he's going to get COVID if he goes under the basket. He plays more <laughs> on the perimeter than any guy I have ever seen. And, again, uh, I, I, being a Philly fan, again, you cut me, I believe, bleed cheesesteak. I, I don't make any bones about that. But when you look at what he's doing, it's going to drive people crazy. Here's a guy seven foot plus. He's out on the perimeter. Get you behind under the basket and make your money down there. You know what, Joe? It's not happening anymore. It's just not happening. Post players are dinosaurs. You know, it's you see these changes in the game, and, and they happen all the time. You know, it, you you look back at the, you know, the the bad boys, and you, you had the Rodmans and the Lambeers and these guys. You were people were afraid to go inside. About ten years ago, I was at a Pitt Panthers game, and I saw Stephen Adams hit the court. Uh, Seven-foot guy, left as a freshman, been playing in the NBA ever since. Uh, one of these Australian kids or New Zealand kids that, you know, Jamie Dixon at the time went across the ocean to, to find and brought him here. Uh, and, you know, the kid was playing on the perimeter. And I'm like, what the heck? You're seven-foot tall. Go inside. You know, what are you doing? And then now, like you just said it, it happens all the time. Those seven-footers are on the – they're outside the arc, you know, dropping bombs from way downtown. It's, 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 it's weird to see, uh, but the game has changed, and I think that you just hit the nail on the head before. You didn't use the word analytics, but analytics are true. If you hit 35%, 32% from behind the arc, you're going to do better than 50% inside. And, you know, we'll see where Wimbayama lands or, or some of these other guys land this year. Um, but I, I think you're right. And, you know, look, I, I'm going to move off of basketball. I know we talked about football. Football, I'm, I am the most – is my best sport. But my favorite sport is the next sport I'm going to bring up. I'm a big hockey guy. So we're going to talk hockey for a few minutes. Um, and, Leo, I, you know, we just did our hockey guide a few months ago. You know, the Connor Bedard draft was a lot of fun to cover. There was a, plenty of drama that didn't happen during the draft or whether we expected plenty of trades that all, all that stuff happened afterward. Uh, but, you know, as from a scout's point of view, how hard is it for you to evaluate players from other countries, namely in particular Canada and Europe? Uh, and of course, plus the United States, if, if you're not there and see them, like in football, you can go and see these guys, they come to you. They're going to go to the combines. They're, you're going to see them at their pro days. Uh, and things like that. But, you know, guys that are outside the country for you, is is film just as good, or do you need to see these guys in person? How hard is it as a scout to, to judge these these kids that were, were – these prospects that are that are coming up for you? 
you know what, Joe? I'm going to go back and use football as an example here. When the Kansas City Chiefs came into Tampa the year the Bucks beat the Chiefs unmercifully in the Super Bowl, Tyreek Hill scored two touchdowns in the first quarter. I asked the Bucks defensive backs, point blank, looking at film, could you tell how fast he was? He said, no. He shocked us with his speed. You've got to go see a guy in person. You can't judge a player's speed on film. It just doesn't equate. So, yeah, that's the toughest thing with hockey. You've got to go. And with the influx of the Russian players who play a different style of hockey than what we do in North America and what they do in Europe, you're looking at different styles that they have to come in to the NHL. They have to blend in. And you know what? I've had a, a, a really been lucky to cover the Lightning for the past four years and to see their influx of Vasilevsky and Kucherov and then Stamkos and then you got Victor Hedman from uh, across the pond up there in Sweden and then you got, you know, Braden Point. You've got a whole different animal in terms of hockey expertise and hockey skill, but you're putting in a lot of miles and you got to make sure – these guys are not only going to be able to play in the NHL, but they got to fit into the culture of your of your hockey team. And, and again, look what happened to the Pittsburgh Penguins. They missed the playoffs and they cleaned house in their administration. That that amazed me, Joe. How about you? Yeah, you know, you know, it it didn't surprise because the Penguins they're like the Steelers in, in the sense that they're kind of like hockey blue bloods, right? They're 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 part of the crown jewel of the league. They always have a top two, top three audience. They're, they've been sold out since I was a kid. Um, you know, and we've gone through here in the city, you know, the Mario Lemieux, then the Yaramir Yagers, then the Sidney Crosby's and the, you know, we've been blessed with, uh, you know, superstars. And even though this core of superstars are aging, um, you, you see that you know, the, the, if the city nor will the team suffer, you know that kind of uh, of loss. I mean, this is a this is a team that should have made the playoffs. So their stars didn't get injured, they played well all season, and they didn't make the playoffs. And so a change needed to be made. And they came in and you know, and Dubis has really not only cleaned house internally, but he's done it on the ice too. I mean, the Eric Carlson trade, uh, you know, for what it's worth. Uh, Excellent. I mean, he was able to move $11 million in dead cap space with Jeff Petrie and uh, Granlund out to make room for a Norris Trophy winner. Uh, and that's the kind of, of, of player that the city will embrace here. So, But getting back to your original point, uh, you're right. On scouting some of these players, I think in this last draft, we saw a lot of teams shying away from these Russian players because of the Ukrainian war. Um, you know, and even the guy like Matt Bay Mishkov, who should have gone second overall, talent-wise, but people weren't able to see him. So, you know, they they were relying on, on folks that had relationships in Russia uh, and things like that. And you know, and and he slid all the way down to your flyers, by the way. Uh, you know, and there were others that did the same thing uh, because they were unable to go and see them. So, seeing these players up front, and I would challenge anybody, even if you're a fan. Take a ride out to Indianapolis, go there when the scouting combine's there, go to Buffalo when the NHL combine's there, and see these guys in person, and you will see the difference in them. And when I was there for the, the combine in Indianapolis this past year, the fans were cheering for C.J. Stroud. The fans 
were cheering for Anthony Richardson. They saw Will Levis's arm. Uh, and what they didn't see was Bryce Young throw a ball. The guy was in street clothes, basically, and stood there uh, and did nothing. But you can tell who had a live arm and who didn't. And you can't see that on film as much as you could see it in person. Same thing when, when those guys were lighting up the 40-yard dash thing. And, you know, you see the same thing. So you're right about the speed. But let me dump down that one other question about hockey before I get into baseball. Because um, you've mentioned – you alluded to this in your answer. Is – College hockey now on the same level as some of these junior leagues? No, Joe, but the gap is closing fast. NHL, NCAA hockey has improved exponentially and will continue to get better. I'm going to give you an example. I covered the Frozen Four. I was down here in Tampa this year, and you're probably going to watch. Well, the University of Wisconsin was the host, and they chose to bring it down to Emily Arena where they put 20000 in both nights. I asked the Quinnipiac coach, who has been there 29 years, I said, how important is it going to be now that you walk into a recruit's house and you flash a championship ring? He goes, 29 years ago, when we started, we had to practice at 2 in the morning. We didn't have an on-campus. Think about it today. Almost everybody has an on-campus rink. They're, they're practicing there. They're practicing at a decent hour. They're getting players that normally would go to juniors or majors, and they're getting them because the level of hockey has gotten so much better, especially the defensemen and the goalies. That's the key. Now you're seeing not only forwards, but defensemen and goalies that are leaving college and going right to the NHL. That never happened three, four, five years ago. Now you're starting to see it. So, yeah, it's not on an even playing field yet, but believe me, it's darn close. Yeah, and you can see in the guys that were chosen this year, I mean, Adam Fantilli, University of Michigan, you know, they're they're, – and look, I'm not saying – the college hockey is I'm, – I'm agreeing with you in the sense that it's it's on the rise. Uh, but when you look at some of these guys uh, that went, they all – you know, in that first round, I mean, the real kind of blue chipper types, there were a lot more – and they're just going to continue to be a lot more every year, even though some of these guys will choose to go back, uh, you know, or frankly have to go back. Uh, you know, they're not ready uh, yet, but that competition – uh, has gotten stronger, uh, and I think it's it's like you said, it's building, and because of some of the facilities they have there, maybe even in some cases NIL money uh, that may be available for some of those top athletes and things in some of the larger schools like Michigan uh, that that can afford to, to have those guys. I think that's a really really valid point that that you made, and and look, I think that's good for the game. I mean, and the more teams, the better it is, and, and some of these larger leagues now. Uh, you know, you're seeing uh, a lot more of that. So, well, look, I'm going to move on to baseball here because we're coming to the end of the show. Um, has In baseball, has the college game passed up the minors in terms of producing talent? We saw a number one and number two pick this year come from LSU. We saw, you know, uh, Lankford you know, coming out of Florida in, in the top five. Uh, you know, are we is, – is, is that where we're going here? Is the college game going – going further than than the minors in producing that talent? Yeah, and it's another area where the gap is closing and it's closing fast. I would compare the NCAA to AA minors right now. 
simply because colleges are playing between 60 and 70 games. So, yeah, it, they're getting there. And the level of competition, especially when you're seeing the College World Series being expanded from uh, the original eight to 16 now, then you got the Super Regional. So, again, these kids are getting a lot of playing time, and they're playing against top-level competition. Yeah, and I, you know, I just use the LSU example because it was historic, right? You had Paul Skeens go to the Pirates, and then you had Dylan Cruz. Both these guys, LSU players, Cruz went to the Nationals. Uh, but if you look at the top five there, I mean, you're, you're really – you're seeing that a bit of a paradigm shift, and people aren't – they're not afraid to go after some of these guys uh, and do that. And I think you, you might have nailed it with that, you know, high double-A – uh, kind of kind of uh, uh, analogy that you made there, and I'll leave you this before we get on the lightning round. I'll leave one last baseball question. And I I evaluate football and hockey. Uh, I'm learning to evaluate baseball. Uh, so from someone that has scout's eyes on baseball, is it is it easier or harder to to evaluate a pitching prospect or a fielding prospect? You know, it's usually easier for a pitcher because of one thing. If he's not putting it in the 90s, they don't get a second look. So, again, that limits down the talent pool right away. You better be throwing in the low to mid-90s. They can teach you how to pitch from there. But, again, that's why you see all these scouts behind the, the, the home plate, and as soon as that guy starts to throw his first pitch, those radar guns come up. Fielders, it's a little bit harder because – you never know what they're going to be able to do at the next level in terms of hitting the baseball. Now, you'll be able to figure out the third baseman, the first baseman, and the left and right fielder. They're, they're going to be your power play. But up the middle, your shortstop, second baseman, and center fielder, they don't have to hit as well because they're going to have to be able to feel a whole lot better. Yeah. Well, look, we, we only have a couple minutes left. I want to run through this lightning round for you. So I've got a handful of questions that are really quick. You, I'm just looking for some quick responses back. One word, one sentence, something like that. Are you ready to play along? Let it rip, big boy. All right. So, favorite team logo in any sport? Wow. that That's tough. Uh, favorite logo. All right. In one any hint. Sport? You can't say the Philadelphia Flyers. You can't say the no, Philadelphia No, 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 no. I can't. That's, even though that's I won't it. allow that on the uh, show. I, 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 <laughs> I'll tell you what, the Golden Knights out in Las Vegas, that's a heck of an impressive logo. Pretty solid. I, I like the Chicago Blackhawks. I think that's – that's a, and, I, and I would have said the Quebec Nordiques if they were still playing, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you slide. The, the Knights, they, they, they do have some pretty nice logos out there. So um, your favorite team mascot in any sport? Oh, God, it's got to be the Philly Fanatics. I mean, dear Lord, that guy's been around forever. In fact, what people don't realize. You don't realize, like gritty? <laughs> no, no, but he, he goes back. His, the guy who did it originally, his dad was the old football coach at the University of Delaware. That's amazing when you look at it, but the fanatic, that, that's the top for me. Uh, again, if the San Diego chicken was still around, it'd be a toss up. All right. One more question. I'm going to throw it at you. Your favorite nickname for any player in any sport? Wow. That's <laughs> favorite nickname. 
Oh boy, that that that. I'll give you mine. The splendid splinter. You, I, I okay. don't know. I mean, that is literally. Not, I, if I was talking football, I would have said prime time. Deion Sanders is my favorite player of all time, so I would have said prime time. But the splendid splinter, it, that is the. It, it just kind of rolls off your tongue. That alliteration and you know the reference is just so so solid. But what do what do you think? Yeah. What's your favorite I, uh, charge, favorite nickname? I'm going to get charged out of your producer Mark Mancini because I'm going to go to wrestling. The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, or the American Nightmare, Dusty Rhodes. Either one. Hey, Mark, what do you think? Oh my like goodness! That. You took it. You that that one. You that's a deep cut right there. When you went American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, baby. I just remember that from the '80s, man. I was a kid. Holy cow! I know the American Nightmare. That's uh, that's that's a fun one with his son and and the push he's he's had through the WWE and stuff like that too. So. Well, look, Leo, uh, you only have about 30 seconds left. Tell everybody where they can find you, uh, and thank you again for being uh, letting me uh, you put you on the clock. I'm going to let you off the clock here, but let everybody know how they can find you one last time. Okay, go to Facebook, go to Amped Up Sports, A-M-P-E-D, U-P Sports, and you can pick up my Leo's Daily Memo. We're covering uh, USF football because it's almost time for college football. So, again, Joe, it's a pleasure being on. Let's do it again. Will do, sir. I'll let you know as soon as I get I'm going to have your, your friend David Alexander on here soon. Big thanks to our guest, Leo Haggerty of Amped Up Sports, and again to our sponsor, Caliente's Pizza and Draft House. Uh, check them out at worldsbestpizza.com. Remember, while Draft Nation may be off the air, we are always on the clock for you. Thanks again, Leo. Mm-hmm.